Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. In a world fraught with corruption. <laughs> Eric, did you just say the F word? Did he say the S word? Young man, did you just say the Q word? Four young boys united by fate. Somewhere between love and honor, between courage and not courage between Kansas and Utah. There lies South Park. Kyle Broslovsky. Sick! Is it Cartman's mom? Oh, very funny. It is Cartman's mom. Stan Marsh. But this is gonna be the best movie ever. It's a foreign film from Canada. Saddam Hussein. Is sex the only thing that matters to you? I love you. Kenny McCormick. I love you, Big Gay L. And Eric Cartman. Yes, yes, I saw the Kansas Philly movie. Who wants to touch me? I said, who wants to touch me? South Park. Bigger, longer, uncut. Um, Okay, so this is... We'll do do a little trivia to start. How about that? Sure. I like trivia. Uh, Okay, well, I mean... You're going to have to know a little bit about me and I guess the summer of 99. Uh, so it shouldn't be too hard, but this was one of two films that summer um, because back then, even though there was a slight controversy uh, with uh, The Matrix, with uh, the Columbine shooting mm-hmm. being so close, as far as R-rated material that uh, impressionable teens were watching, there were still only two films that... I actually required seeing with one of my parents, and this was one of them. And I bet you can guess the other one because it's going to be featured on this show relatively soon. Oh, God damn it. How did you do, do that? Uh, so <laughs> the other one, uh, Blair... No, that wasn't rated R. Blair Witch wasn't rated R. I think it was, but that's not it. I'll, oh. I'll give you that. Um, I can think of this right now if you give me a minute... <laughs> to think a little bit more closely. There's a uh, great uh, musical cue you could use here in the edit. When you when you have the right answer, it's got a pretty uh, memorable uh, musical uh, cue that they play. Oh, American Pie. American Pie. Nope. Not it. 
Jesus Christ. Well, how'd, you get to, into, how'd you get in to see American Pie? That was radar for sure. Yeah, I watched that one with my, uh, let's see, I was 16 at the time. I think I took a couple of 15-year-old peers from my <laughs> class to see it. I was uh-huh. the adult taking them. So no, that was not it. It was uh, Eyes Wide Shut was the one that ah, I, yeah. I yeah. had to watch that one with my mom, which uh, wasn't the best way to watch that particular film, but it was the only way I was going to see it as a... Uh, what did you call me in the Big Daddy episode? Or what you called a group of people that uh, hates? You didn't say cinephile. It was C- funny. Sinistas. Uh, it's a, no, <laughs> it's a term. It's a, I may be mispronouncing it. That's what you, you called me. And as, uh, as a young, uh, whatever that is, however you pronounce it, uh, I had to have uh, a parent with me to accompany me to Eyes Wide Shut. And also, uh, I guess on the same shelf, um, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Uh, that one was my stepfather, though. Uh, because as we mentioned, sort of as we we're winding down the last episode, uh, he was a big Simpsons fan. So that would also go on to be a big uh, success. And he was also a big South Park fan. So strangely, my first watch of this, uh, I was accompanying my parent who was a bigger fan of South Park than I was at the time. So it was more his thing. But I think because of that, I didn't... I didn't have strong memories of this uh, as far as being like one of my favorite things I saw that summer. I remember enjoying it and laughing a lot. So that's, you know, most of the battle. If you're going to go see a comedy, it was, I, I had a good time with it. Uh, but I'm, I think I only rewatched it once. I think I watched it once again on DVD, but I, uh, I don't know about you. So I'll, I'll toss the ball to you. Uh, I never really consistently watched South Park uh, like ever. Like I've seen some of like the more, I guess, infamous episodes like, uh, I've seen the uh, the iPad one, the their human centipede uh, takeoff, and I've seen the the Mel Gibson one around the release of the Passion, but uh, Passion of the Christ. But what what about you? Were you were you ever coming at this as a fan of the series itself? Yeah, we're we're coming at this from like you know as far apart as you you okay. can imagine it being. Good. I've always been a huge South Park fan uh, ever since I was a kid, and even. Even from I've, I'm pretty sure even from the very beginning, I do remember the pilot uh, playing on TV and 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 watching it for the first time before you know right like as it was airing and everything. And I don't know why I can't say why I don't know I guess I was just really weird, um, and so I I was very much looking forward to this and I and I saw it in a theater just like you had to be accompanied you know by a parent, um, and. Uh, yeah, I've always, I've always really loved it and felt strongly about it. And so I was very excited to, to get to rewatch it. Um, what was the reaction from your, uh, the, the parent that uh, took you to see it? They, they were always uh, like fine to fit. They always thought it was pretty funny and, and harmless, you know? Um, the, the thing that strikes me, uh, about South Park is that there's lots of subtext and everything that when you get beyond the uh, gross jokes and everything, the subtext is actually very like, you know, educational and, and <laughs> like, it's almost like the Aesop's fable, uh, you know, of our, of our day uh, in that okay. there, the, you know, the, the, every episode is, is the typical structure of it is, you know, there is some conflict where, and everyone uh, freaks out about it. Uh, and, and then by the end, 
Uh, So there's usually two opposing forces and one of them is saying this must happen and one of them is saying this other thing must happen and it's very greatly exaggerated for comedic effect. And then at the end, Kyle always gets up and tells a big speech and it, uh, you, you know, saying how, how they're both wrong and how what's really, uh, you know, whatever, what everyone really should do is the thing in the middle and everything. And you kind of see that through uh, all of South Park. And a lot of people hate that about the show, that they can pinpoint that structure. And they've kind of veered away from that a bit uh, by, by reinventing themselves in the last few years or so. But basically, that's always been the thing. And I think... Looking at it from that perspective, this is a movie that has a really good moral message uh, regarding censorship and regarding, you know, people letting their emotions, uh, you know, get away with themselves. And uh, I've always appreciated it for that, even as a kid. And I think it holds up pretty well today. And um, are you so are you aware of... uh, the history of the MPAA and, and um, the production code and all that in movies? Because I think that would be kind of an interesting discussion to have if we want to go there. I mean, only only vaguely, right? That they... And maybe I'm just talking on my ass here, but I, I was... In my mind, it was similar to uh, baseball, um, which that may be more my side of the street than yours. Uh, as Definitely. Far as the, <laughs> okay, so like the 1919, 19, uh, the Black Sox scandal where the uh the if you you know a previous uh, 99 from 99 episode john sales uh covered this in eight men out um where the uh the white Sox players in the world series were taking money to you know throw certain games um because they had problems with their the the owner who uh was not uh not a very good man and uh did not uh pay his players uh the wages that they had earned and agreed upon so what baseball did was um uh, they decided to govern themselves uh very harshly and strictly uh so that uh, the government would not get involved so they they created this institution led by a commissioner who pretty much had broad sweeping powers to do whatever he want, wanted to to keep people out of baseball uh, you know, if he deemed them to be a threat to the game uh, based on their uh, moral character. So I always likened it to that. I may be wrong, but I'll let you take it away with the uh, MPAA. No, I'm actually really impressed because, yeah, it's it's very close. It's very They're very closely similar uh, in, in that respect, in that basically, so in like the late 20s or so, people, there were, there were no... Uh, there was no censorship at all, no restrictions, no ratings or anything like that uh, prior to 1934. But prior to that, what was happening is the religious right and everything uh, around the country was getting, you know, riled up like Sheila Broflowski in this movie and, you know, rabble, rabble, rabble and getting upset because there were nipples in Metropolis and <laughs> a few other movies. Uh, a lot of a lot of pre-code movies uh, are, are uh, very surprisingly explicit if you ever check them out. And so what happened is Hollywood realizing that the eventual step would be that the government would step in and actually begin to censor their content and, and keep movies from being able to be what they, what they, what they want them to be decided to participate in what I call a form of self censorship with the production code. And it was the uh, uh, Hayes Production Code, and Hayes was, was the name of the man who was the head of it. 
and they had all sorts of rules which were very restrictive, but basically a movie could be released with a seal of approval from the Hayes Code or or it could not be released or it could be released without one. And basically for 20 or 30 years, no one wanted to have a movie that could be released without the, the, the Hayes Production Code seal of approval. And all the studios basically agreed to that. And it was only in like the late 60s and the early 70s where you saw people really push the buttons, uh, you know, on that. And that's how the MPAA got uh, got formed, was sort of in response to the Hayes Code falling. And the MPAA today, and a lot of people don't realize this, but it's actually much, there's much, it's much more liberal than the rating codes in other countries. So what would be a heavy R today, like let's say Wolf of Wall Street or a Tarantino movie uh, like The Hateful Eight, you know, what would be a heavy R in the United States when it goes over to the United Kingdom becomes what is called an 18. Uh, And by that, it means that no one under 18 can be allowed to go in and see this movie, whether they're with a parent or guardian or not. Uh, They basically cannot see it. And that's much more, you know, conservative in comparison to what we have in the United States. And so, but, 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 but the interesting thing, the, where, where things are different is the, this uh, whole idea of taking movies to the MPAA and having them say, oh, well, we can't have this, we can't have that, uh, this has to change, and blah, blah, blah. And so with South Park, it's originally supposed to be called uh, All Hell Breaks Loose, and MPAA says that that's a no-go, that it has to be something different. So they come up with this other title, <laughs> Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, and they get the seal of approval for it. Much worse. <laughs> and then later, and then later, the MPAA realized, you know, what had happened, and they were like, "Oh no, we we needed to change." And they and they said, "No." They said, "Oh, it's already been approved, and we've already made posters and everything." And it's it's a real interesting sense of how censorship in the United States kind of made movies better. For, in many ways, it made it so that there was an envelope that you could push and get people excited about. And South Park themselves really satirize this later with an, with an episode where they have a person on TV uh, say the word shit. And they uh, say, uh, they build it all up. And then at the end of a Law and Order episode or whatever, someone goes, oh, hey, you got a little shit on your shoe. Uh, and that's <laughs> it. And, uh, you know, very funny, very clever. And... You know, lots to be said. Sorry, I guess I've kind of ranted on and on for a bit here. Uh, but another example is the Winona Ryder joke that apparently, originally, it was really supposed to be ping pongs coming out of her, you know, uh, you know, woman parts, and uh, and then they had <laughs> to like actually change self censorship there. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they had to change it to you know that she that that the joke is that it looks like that's what's happening, but she's actually hitting them with a ping pong. Much funnier. Much funnier. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my takeaway from this is uh, I think the critical success of this film, um, it says here this was the uh, top-grossing R-rated animated film until, uh, you know, I'm sure a film we'll be talking about 20 years later in 2036, Sausage Party, I guess, finally <laughs> overtook South Park bigger, longer, and uncut. Um, 
my thought when I watched it this time was I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, because I, I thought, you know, I thought maybe what they were talking about here, uh, as far as, you know, the, the self-censorship or what, um, you know, they'd kind of struggled with, you know, they were like the Simpsons before them on a much smaller scale. Cause that was network television. You know, you saw similar things with South South Park initially in the mid nineties, where it was this horrifying thing that kids were into Beavis and Butthead, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. four or five years before that. And like a lot of things, like I remember, okay, so like my stepdad who took me to see this, uh, around this time, uh, Marilyn Manson was this very, you know, scary, uh, artist. I think, uh, Joe Lieberman <laughs> was, you'd see him on television <laughs> being like, we can't let our kids listen to this guy. You know, he's a, a Satanist and he cuts himself and God knows what other, you know, sex acts he's promoting on stage, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think I remember like challenging, him as far as like what do you think of this guy huh (laughs) like you know you ever seen anything like that and he's like you know i I remember when ozzy osbourne or alice cooper were like scary men and now they're just now they're like the the old grandfathers of this art form like you see them like on politically incorrect or something like just talking uh still with their makeup and everything on and uh what did that take the wind out of my sails when (laughs) he couldn't even be bothered to like engage with Marilyn Manson as something controversial. He was just like, you know, this too shall pass. So I'm watching this. I'm, I, I thought when I uh, loaded it up, I'm like, this is not the bites going to be removed from this. Right. Like, like some of those, those recording artists, I thought this is not going to hold up because this was a very particular point in time when South Park could be scary and it w- could be the, the guy taking on the powers to be, but I think you're onto something. It's, it seems just as relevant now but the one negative I'll say about the film is I think it would have it would have had a, a much better uh, artistic legacy if critics had not gotten it so quickly. Like, I, I think that it being such a runaway success, at least for me, maybe that's why I just sort of was like, oh, yeah, that was funny. And uh, everyone loved it. So it, it seemed like uh, there wasn't anything controversial about it once it once it came out. It just seemed like it was embraced by the public at large. At least that's my memory of it. What's interesting, and I got a chance to listen to the commentary track uh, on the on the on the Blu-ray uh, with, with Trey Parker and Matt Stone, is that so? This is coming right as South Park is heading into its third season, and basically, I never realized this as a kid, but I guess the sense was was that South Park had, you know. Uh, hit its peak and was basically going to finish soon. And that's why the movie is as outlandish and and big as it is. And that's why it's a musical because that was something they always wanted to do. And that basically they were just, they felt free to do whatever they wanted to do uh, here because they, they thought they thought South Park was going to be done uh, within Mm. a year from now uh, from 1999. And it's, so interesting to me, <laughs> the number of times that people have thought that South Park was going to be done and finished, and yet here we are today, and it's still going on. And I guess with, you know, uh, there's still a lot of things to parody and satirize. <laughs> well, you so are you still like a, a you know an active watcher of the, of yeah. the South Park show? Yeah, it's okay. one of the few things that I've, I've stuck with, and... Uh, you know, I think, I think, and I think they have said this themselves, uh, now that, you know, reality has become 
so outlandish and crazy <laughs> that it's hard for them to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to do things that would top that. And I can definitely see that. So, you know, maybe they'll, they'll finally finish, but it's one of those funny things. Like, like culturally, I just think the whole thing has been so impactful on, uh, you know, on America. And, um, it, it's something you would not have guessed in 1999 that. No, no, I'm, I mean, I'm looking up here like, uh, just the initial response and, you know, entertainment weekly gave this, uh, an A minus and praised the film's message in a post Columbine society. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> I guess in my head, I was thinking like, man, I wish it had been treated more like Fight Club, which is what we're going to talk about later, uh, which was a, a financial disaster. And, uh, you know, from some of the, you know, top critics at the time, I remember Ebert, uh, Entertainment Weekly, I think gave it an F, you know, it was, it was seen as like, oh, this is, this is awful. This is, you know, terrible work. And it like quickly, you know, was embraced by the, the people who really got into it and then was like, you know, by DVD six months later was like a runaway success. Um, and so do you think that's wrong of me to, <laughs> to think lesser of, of this film for just being like a success at pretty much every juncture and you know, like just being so openly embraced upon initial release? I mean, I don't know. Yes. Um, like, <laughs> cause it's, I mean, it's an antagonistic <laughs> film. And so if you're that openly antagonistic and everyone's like, cool, we agree. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, it takes away some of the, I don't know, the, uh, the, the coolness, I guess, of it, especially if, uh, you know, you're a teenager at the time when it's just like, oh yeah, every, every old person says this is fantastic. South it, Park's a good thing now. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think movies should be judged for what they are, uh, on their own and not, and not so much the conversation that's happening around them. I think, I think it's to be true for every movie. And, and I but think this one in particular is having a conversation like, with the sort of public at large sure. and with the reaction to it. The thing of it is to me is that we come to 2019 and it would seem it would seem like the only movies people are willing to hold up as great art are the ones people aren't willing to watch. And I don't mm. think that should be the case. And I think that's kind of, you know, I think that can be very elite. And I think we saw that definitely with last year's Academy Awards race uh, for sure. Um, you know, just a ton of movies that no one wanted to see or wanted to really talk about at all, just being kind of shoved, you know, in your face and everything, uh, over and over and over again. And, and, you know, we don't really have that same kind of organic relationship between, you know, movies and art that make an impact on people, uh, also being praised as high art. Uh, that doesn't happen as often anymore. Uh, and, you know, so... I don't know. I think, I think a lot of times it's like, Oh, well, I like this when it was, uh, when it, when it was, you know, alternative and when it was, you know, something people weren't really talking about, but now that everyone say it's like the Titanic effect, you know, it's like once it's really, really popular and everything, then it forces you to, to watch it with like a, uh, you know, with a, with a fine tooth comb and, and just kind of find all like, you know, and I just don't think it's a, it's an unfair imposition for any movie to have. Well, also, like you said, with it still, I mean, it's still going <laughs> 20 years later. Uh, I think it stunts this particular piece of South Park from being rediscovered or embraced uh, because there's, 
uh, you know, there's something else that they're doing, whether they're, uh, you know, doing their version of Trump or, uh, um, what was the the principal character they brought in? That sort uh, of PC, on... PC bro. PC <laughs> yeah, principal. PC. Which, I mean, I've seen some of those episodes because my friends are like, hey, you should check this out. And I, I mean, they're they're really funny. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, I feel it's the same for like, you know, like <laughs> on a different genre, like the X-Files film. Uh, I think Fight the Future may have been the subtitle uh, from uh, the previous year from what we're covering, 1998. Yeah, I can't imagine people going back and just like, hey, let's, let's uh, reappraise the X-Files movie without it being somehow like lumped in uh, with the, the rest of the, uh, the series. Um, but what you said earlier, it is like, you know, they're, they're taking a big swing here to stand out from, you know, they're, they're doing like a movie version of South Park, just with it being a musical uh, production, which they would go on, you know, later on with the book of Mormon to do, uh, you know, a, a different setting very successfully. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't, really see this one brought up though that much you know we're we're talking about the great films of 1909 which is often seen as possibly the greatest year of film and i don't hear this one brought up just as an individual piece i'll i'll hear it brought up in the context of talking about south park and what they've created over decades time but not just just this one movie that someone watches outside of the conversation of the show i think it's one of my favorite movie musicals of the of the 1990s to be honest uh, even from this very beginning with this song that is so obviously uh, parodying the opening song of Beauty and the Beast, uh, you know, that's quite, <laughs> that's quite an interesting leap to make for a movie that, that's primarily aimed at, I guess, uh, middle schoolers and, and young adults, you know. It could have backfired yeah, for the target audience, definitely. for sure. Definitely. And if you go back and you look at the previews and everything, they didn't uh advertise it as a musical and there weren't musicals there weren't musical uh selections featured in the trailers and yeah i remember being very surprised by that too but uh even then i remember really liking the music and the you know the these songs um like there's so many good ones (laughs) which one's your favorite oh man I guess Kyle's mom's a bitch. that one it's more <laughs> i just like i just like how, how it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then and then at the end he he's sort of cartman is resembling like a like a crooner you know doing the big finish uh <laughs> and, and that that feels very appropriate uh to me it's gotta be uncle fucker for me um that's oh, very good <laughs> hmm Well, the thing that stands out for me, I'm mean, not necessarily like the song or the lyrics, but the uh, the uh, farting dance-off with the uh, like the Mountie, the Canadian 
guy uh-huh. running traffic with his hat just sort of being <laughs> blown up. Uh, that one, uh, that one I always remembered. But um, you know, okay, we've been very positive. There's a couple of things that don't work uh, for sure me here. Um, the I don't uh, like. I don't know if you're familiar or ever watched, and I only have vague memories of it. The uh, uh, Akira, the the manga, the anime uh, from the late '80s, which is uh, clearly like kind of what they're tipping the cap to with uh, Cartman at the end with his uh, his V chip that is short circuiting, and he uh, you know gains gains these like sort of uh, superpowers uh, with this electricity that he can wield uh, based on his, you know, cursing or saying what he truly feels. Uh, some of that stuff, I don't, because I don't, I think it's mostly timeless. Uh, I do remember when you were talking about the trailer that they really were leaning into the uh, Phantom Menace gag with the, uh, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the black soldiers. I remember that. And then when I watched it now, um, it, I mean, because we're doing 99 from 99, I'm like, oh, well, I've recently watched Phantom Menace. But I, I wondered <laughs> if they might have overstated, uh, like with a lot of pop culture gags, uh, I think if a kid was just watching this on a streaming service, they'd probably, <laughs> probably be like, what the fuck is that? Like, I think somehow, you know, South Park has won out over <laughs> Star Wars as far as the uh, the the pop culture sort of uh relevance like and in particular when you're talking about the jar jar character i, I guarantee them to you that there are like 12 year olds now that they don't know or care who jar jar is or why people like still are angry about it yeah i mean you're right on that at the same time it is funny watching it in the context because we watched star wars episode one just a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um you know it's still the most memorably bad line and bad moment uh from star wars episode one and and so you have to give them some credit in in regards to that because they they you know, to, to throw that in there right as that movie was coming out and everything and to have that kind of, you know, foresight and everything. Uh, and he's a legendarily bad character uh, to this day. And so, I mean, yeah, it's a, you should avoid pop culture references. It's true because, yeah, they de- definitely tend not to play too well. But in a, but in a thing like South Park, it's kind of impossible to do that. Like it's so so much of it. Uh, has been about, you know, bringing up the bringing up the topics and things that that people uh, that people are are on about, uh, you know, that week, uh, and showcasing it to them. <laughs> so, do you have any? Uh, I, you know, that, that's it. That's all I've got as far as my criticisms. Well, uh, by yourself, something that they brought up in the commentary that I agreed with uh, is that this whole effort to feature every character from the show up until that point makes for some pretty big stretches. Uh, oh, okay. you know, like, like, uh, oh, I forget their names. Uh, but, but Stan's uncle, you know, what's his name and, and his friend with the voice, you know, with the voice box, right, uh, you right. know, like, like, uh, you know, I think, I think if they were to do this today, they would probably just focus on a certain sect of characters and keep it focused on them rather than try to bring in every single character that's ever appeared on the show everything uh, you know yeah yeah that's a fair uh fair criticism and i don't know that's about it like even the even the cheap looking animation and everything and has a certain kind of charm to it uh and i and i kind of found myself in the same way that like those old charlie brown uh you know cartoons have um you know i just found myself enjoying it for uh you know on, on that level <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I, they do the uh, the one bit uh, talking about cheap animation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, and that you know that it was accepted at the time as far as like, well, this the show is so abrasive and uh, jabbing jabbing its finger in your face. That's like uh, you know it was definitely cool that it looked the way it did. Um, but now it's just like I mean I can't imagine it any other way. Like I I wonder if I would actually have more problems with the Simpsons film. Uh, for like you know stepping up their budget for it looking so dramatically different from just a regular episode and in particular the ones that you know, it seems like uh the simpsons has like tears or at least the way people talk about it is like you know the first i don't know 10 seasons and then that's it so i think the way people remember the simpsons the show may be very different looking mm-hmm. from how the film was i think was that 2007 when that came yeah, out yeah that's correct but this i mean i you know i think I think it looks like how you would expect it to look pretty much the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, it's weird. I, it took me forever to catch up with that Simpsons movie. Cause I just was convinced that it couldn't be very funny considering how many, how many seasons of the show had gone on where, where it was just not funny at all anymore. And, and it's still not, I mean, I remember trying to watch the Simpsons family guy, uh, uh, crossover episode and just thinking it was just painful uh like painfully unfunny <laughs> well there we go we can't have uh we can't go through an entire episode without <laughs> something in these recent weeks uh you know being being painful for either one of us so <laughs> this one i mean i think we came up with like three minor things to dislike here and other than that it's like yeah it's great it's funny I, no it honestly this is a this is a pretty strong film this is one that's high up there for me i'm really you know I mean, I mean, everything about it is so, uh, in terms of like just the basic plot, uh, is, is so precise and, and very simple and it gets across what it wants to say without really hitting you over the head. Um, with, you, you know, like people have this idea that message movies, you know, have to be serious in nature and everything, but you wonder like how many people, how many people saw Hotel Rwanda you know, in comparison to this. And I, I guess that's weird to single out Hotel Rwanda in that regard. But it's like, <laughs> no. when you think about it, uh, a message movie like this, you know, where uh, where it's using like, you know, a spoonful of sugar uh, to help the medicine go down kind of thing, it's reaching more more people. Um, and in some ways you, you could call it propaganda, uh, which, which, you know, could be fair, but at least, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's it, when it's a message that you agree with and and that you feel strongly about. I guess it works for you. I mean, I I'm a pretty good example in that I've yet to see Hotel Rwanda because yeah yeah uh, when it's you know when it got great reviews or someone would bring it up like hey your movie got you watch this I would always say ah, I'm not quite in the mood today to watch that you know what I don't know how many years it's been but <laughs> I'm still yet to be in the mood to just throw that on uh, but this one yeah. You could you could easily uh, talk me into watching South Park again, even though it's a, a musical, which is uh, yeah, know, yeah. So, so you, you uh, liked a period piece the other week, and you liked a musical this week, you know? Yeah, uh, so, something's got to give here. There's gonna be there's <laughs> gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to my old ways soon. So I, on that note, Ben, what uh, I don't have it in front of me. What what is coming up next? If you want to, one we have coming up next is a is a. Very big film uh, that is an odd pairing of two uh, actors. And it, the movie lost a lot of money 
And it's both a, both a Western and a sci-fi. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I didn't know that it lost a lot of money. I guess that's the one positive takeaway. Now, so this is a Wild Wild West. Yeah. Uh, and I, I say, oh, no, because uh, <laughs> it may be the only time a Hotel Rwanda and Wild Wild West is compared, but I have <laughs> never been in the mood to watch this. I wasn't in the mood that summer. I uh, thought it looked pretty bad, and 20 years later, I guess I'm going to finally uh, open up that, that bottle, that vintage Will Smith Western comedy. Um, I don't expect this will be pleasant, Ben. There, There's not much suspense <laughs> here. Even though, even though this is from the director of one of the great comedies of all time, uh, Adam's Family Values, mm-hmm. so there's no suspense here. Although it makes me want to check out Nine Lives, honestly, because I've never seen that either, and that lost a ton of money. <laughs> Is that another film from... Uh, yeah. This direct- okay. But, uh, I, you know, why not just do Get Shorty again? Can't. You got to do Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great way to preview it for our listeners? <laughs> Can't do it. Nope. <laughs> Can't be done. All right. Well, uh, look forward to that, dear listeners, as we drag you along and drag ourselves to a, a conversation on Wild Wild West. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99